Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode of Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki. If you're looking for one-to-one lessons or conversations with qualified teachers in order to work on any area of your English, italki can help. And because you listen to this podcast, when you buy some talking time with italki, they will send you a voucher for a free lesson. To claim that offer, you need to enter their website through my link which is teacherluke.co.uk slash talk, or just click an italki logo on my website. You can also give italki gift cards to friends or family as a Christmas or birthday present, which might be a good solution if you're still looking for gift ideas. Just a little tip there from me to you. If you know anyone who might need some English lessons, think about giving them an italki gift card. Eh, Not a bad idea teacherluke.co.uk slash talk to get started. Okay? Okay. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to part three of this series that I'm doing about the Collins Dictionary Words of the Year. I'm going through the list of words from 2017 first, and then the plan is to move on to the words for 2018 and talk about them with Amber. She's coming round here tomorrow morning, actually, and we're going to sit down together and record ourselves having a conversation about the word list for 2018. So the words of the year. Collins Dictionary select these lists of words every year based on which words they've noticed being used a lot in this 12-month period. They're not necessarily new words, and they might be phrases, in fact, made from existing words. The main thing is that these words or phrases have risen in use significantly during the period, and as a result, they kind of tap into issues, events, and feelings that are very current. Uh, Talking about the words of the year on this podcast is a way for me to explore some vocabulary and also just talk about some issues of the moment. Check the page on the website uh, for this episode in order to see a lot of the things I'm saying uh, written there as transcripts and for other information. Talking about these words and discussing them also involves using various other useful bits of vocabulary that you can learn from me. Listening to episodes of this podcast can help you raise your level of English, starting with your listening skills. But the benefits to your English can be many, including developing your awareness of pronunciation, expanding your vocabulary, noticing aspects of grammar. And all of this helps you with your speaking skills too. That's the plan. Certainly, listening regularly, listening for longer periods, and listening to something that I hope holds your attention. This is all really healthy for your English, so let's keep going. 
So I have six words or phrases to deal with in this episode. Six words or phrases left in the words of the year list for 2017. So let's lo- let's not hang about. In part one of the series, I talked about how Collins uses data to make its dictionaries and other language reference books. And I talked for quite a long time about the phrase fake news, which topped their words of the year list for 2017. Then in part two, I talked about other words in the list for 2017, including Antifa, Corbin mania and cuffing season. I've got six words left. Let's see if I could deal with them all in part three here. And let's go. So the next word in the list is echo chamber. An echo chamber. E-C-H-O chamber. Okay, so an echo chamber is defined here as an environment, especially on, on a social media site, in which any statement of opinion is likely to be greeted with approval because it, it will only be read or heard by people who hold similar views. So it's a kind of it's a space and it could be an online space where basically everyone just holds the same views. Okay? Right. So the concept is that if you live in an echo chamber, you only ever hear your own opinions coming back to you. You never actually hear differing opinions or your appear your opinions are never really challenged because in the echo chamber uh you're just hearing or reading like your own opinions kind of bouncing back to you in a way, because everyone in that space just shares the same opinions as you. Echo, the word echo is a verb and it's a noun. So the word echo on its own is basically when you make a sound and it travels away from you and then it bounces off a surface and it comes back to you. It's like if you're standing in a huge hallway and you say, hello, and then you hear your own voice coming back to you going, hello, later. You know, like, hello, 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 echo, 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 you know, I've got to concentrate, 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 you know, that's an echo. So the the echo chamber idea, when you live in a world in which you only ever hear or read your own ideas, you never actually hear uh, challenging ideas or, or differing opinions. So what does that say? what does this tell us about the world today like the like people say that many of us are living in echo chambers okay so nowadays there's so much media content out there including news and just different opinions and comments about the world right there's there's a huge diversity of stuff out there online but now we have the ability to filter out certain things you know, like, for example, I mean, just a, a, a basic example, if you download, let's say, a, a news app on your phone, you know, you get these apps that kind of collate uh, news content from around the internet. So you get a news app on your phone. The first thing that you do when you've downloaded the app is you go through all of their options and you kind of filter all of the news based on the stuff that you want to read, basically. So you, first of all, that means that you're filtering out certain topics but also, you might filter out certain sources of news as well. So you might just kind of, I don't know, what would I do? I'd probably like just tap certain news websites and I, I wouldn't select others. So already that I'm filtering out uh, things that, you know, either just because of my personal taste, I don't want to, I don't want to get news uh, from, you know, f- 
things like the Daily Mail, I wouldn't choose to get news from them, which means I'm filtering out that kind of uh, content. That's just an example. And so your your news feed in this news app is is not exactly, it's not that diverse. It's kind of just the the coming from sources that you've selected yourself. So in a sense, you're kind of constructing your own little version of the internet or your own sort of filtered version of the news. And that's a sort of an echo chamber as well. But also it works in social media where, let's say with Twitter, you just follow people that you like. Let's say you're not nece- you, you might not be following people who hold differing views to you, and so all of the information that ca- that cascades through your Twitter feed it's all just stuff that's kind of probably in the same um, opinion space as you are, and as a result, all of the information that comes back to you is just like uh, stuff that kind of confirms your existing worldview, or maybe every time you tweet you're just or, or on Facebook, let's say, you know, you're just, you just, your network is just your friends. So every time you uh, write a post, it's just your friends that are kind of giving you thumbs up on it and stuff. And it kind of creates this sense that um, you're just living in a bubble, right? That's kind of an echo chamber. Eventually, if you only choose to see or hear things that you like, you'll never hear about any conflicting opinions. And you'll never face disagreement, contradiction, challenge, or other points of view. And this can be quite dangerous. It makes you soft and unprepared for your ideas to be challenged. It makes you, or it can make you small-minded, because you only get a blinkered view of the world. Blinkers, uh, or a blinkered view, does that make sense? Blinkers are what you put on a horse so that the horse doesn't look to the right or left so that the horse doesn't get distracted or it doesn't get put off uh, by uh, things on the right or the left of the horse, right? You know, if you've got like a, you know, back in the old days when people used horses for everything, it was important to make sure that the horse wasn't constantly being sort of distracted or being put off by things on the, uh, you know, on its peripheral, on the periphery of its vision. So you put blinkers on the horse that, that kind of force the, that prevent the horse from seeing to the right or left. And that means that, I don't know, if you're taking your horse through town, if you're pulling a cart full of stuff through town, the horse isn't going to be sort of, it's not going to get um, shocked or anything by by things on the right or the left. So that's blinkered. So if you ever talk about a blinkered, or if you, you read or hear people saying a blinkered view of the world, it means that where a, a view of the world that's been sort of reduced so that you're only looking in one direction. So, um, you know, living in an echo chamber or just sort of selecting or filtering out things that don't really fit with your worldview can make you small-minded because you you get a blinkered view of the world and you don't get exposed to different opinions and it makes you unaware of what's really going on in the world. It's like living in a bubble. Uh, When something big happens, it can seem totally shocking and unbelievable. I mean, when I what I mean by something big, I mean something that's sort of some event that doesn't quite fit in with your vision of the world. Um, something, and that would be something like Brexit or the Donald Trump uh, election victory. So, weirdly, in this super connected world where we have access to so much information, it seems that we are less and less connected and more and more divided as we put ourselves into these more carefully defined personal categories 
and only receive information that fits with that category, we become more separated from the experiences of other groups of people. That's the kind of theory behind the uh, the expression echo chamber. Generally, this expression is a buzzword for this whole phenomenon of sort of filtering out opposing viewpoints and living in a bubble. These circumstances can push us away from each other and make it harder to understand different opinions. The results of the Brexit referendum and the US presidential election in 2016 were both greeted with disbelief and shock by some people. The the people on the losing side of both of those things couldn't understand how their opponents refused to have their opinions changed by apparently reasonable arguments, while the winners remained convinced of the rightness of their own cause. Basically, we were surprised and shocked by the existence of other points of view, almost. Experts said that this situation was due to many people living in an echo chamber, where they only hear the views of people who share and reinforce their own opinions. This is increasingly possible when people form online communities that exclude any voices that challenge or threaten them. Okay, and and by excluding any voices that challenge or threatening them, that or threaten them, that basically means like blocking people who don't quite fit in with the attitudes of that group. Blocking people. For example, a lot of people no longer read newspapers or get their news from the TV. Instead, they perhaps just look at Twitter to see what's going on. But on Twitter, you choose each and every account that you follow. So you kind of cherry pick the content rather than just receiving the same information as everyone else. Which I suppose is the way it used to be when we all had, let's say, just a few channels on the TV and there were only a few newspapers available and most people were receiving the same news, the same information as everyone else. Also, it's quite common to block people who disagree with you or argue with you. The result is an echo chamber and it's not just for people who didn't vote for Trump or Brexit. There are right-wing echo chambers too, including social media sites that welcome the types of opinions that are not really accepted by more conventional mainstream social media. So everyone is capable of living in an echo chamber and I think probably everyone does to an extent. The term echo chamber originally referred to a room that scientists constructed to create echoes for use in sound recording or experiments. So if you think about like uh, music studios uh, before the digital era, um, in order for music studios to create that kind of echo effect or um, a kind of delay effect where sound sort of bounces back and you get like this kind of repeated sound, which, it, which was very common in certain forms of music, you know, like uh, rock and roll music. Um, someone like Elvis Presley, a lot of his early uh, records had a lot of echo on the vocals. It was one of the, the kind of um, hallmarks of Elvis's early stuff, or certainly early rock and roll music from the 50s, that there would be this echo sound on the vocals. Um, and it's because they recorded with an echo chamber in the studio. Some studios had like... Uh, literally a space where they would play the uh, sound into the room it would bounce off the walls of the echo chamber and another microphone would would record the 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 sound with the echo so it was a kind of an actual physical space that was used as a sound effect and also other other you know um, other music uh, other other 
sound recording used echo chambers, like physical spaces in that way. So echo chambers are used to create real echoes, which can be used for music or sound recording instead of relying on digital echo or delay effects or even before they had the option to have digital echo effects. So that's kind of the original meaning of an echo chamber. It's a a custom-built room in order to create an echo that could be used as a sound effect. Often the best echo chambers for music are bathrooms uh, because they have those shiny ceramic tiles that let the sound bounce around nicely. That's one of the reasons why it's nice to sing in the shower because your voice echoes off the tiles and comes back to you and it, and it sounds pretty good. Um, so the idea of an environment where you can hear your own voice repeated back to you made this a perfect metaphor for the world of social media, where many people only talk with those who agree with them, thus creating a rather distorted picture of what the world is really like, or a sort of limited view of what the world is really like. So what do you think about this? Do you, do you, do you think that people are living in echo chambers? Do you think that you live in an echo chamber? And um, do you think that people actually are more divided than they used to be because of um, the internet and because of the way that they select information that they receive? Is it really true? Um, because, you know, I think a, a lot of us actually on, on our social media, we sometimes will follow uh, uh, like Twitter accounts, for example, that post um, opinions that are different to ours. Like I, I follow a few accounts on Twitter that... I don't agree with and I'm just curious to see what these people are saying like I follow various kind of um anti I I follow various accounts by people who um think Brexit is a good idea because I want to read what they're saying I want to know what their opinions are I want to see if there's any any um any truth in what they're saying you know I want to know so to an extent I think people sometimes if they know about this kind of thing, they will intentionally um, broaden the 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 scope of of the content they receive online in order to hear the other side of the the, the of the coin, the other side of the argument. Uh, but I don't know. What about you? What do you think? Do you think do you live in an echo chamber? I mean, what do you reckon? Do you think people do? Do you think this is a significant thing today? And do you think that people are exposed to more diverse? information now now that they've got the internet than than they used to be because you know you could argue that uh back when everyone received their information through a, just a few newspapers and tv channels and radio stations that that was also limited it's just that we weren't the ones choosing uh the, the all of the information the information was kind of filtered for us but i suppose the point there is that everyone received the same information Whereas these days we are, we've put ourselves in little categories. Everyone's got like these uh, little, their, their own little personal categories and we don't all necessarily receive the same information at the same time. And we might even sort of receive information about the same events, but the information is like sort of spun or twisted or biased in a certain way. Uh, so, I, you know, as ever, I'm interested in knowing what you think about the concept of the echo chamber and whether you think you personally live in one or whether you think people in general uh, live within echo chambers and whether that's a bad thing or not. 
Uh, leave your comments on the website. I'm always interested in reading uh, your opinions if you'd like to share them. Let's move on to the next uh, word of the year from 2017. And we finally made it. Here we are, fidget spinner. I mean, I've, I was talking about fidget spinners and, and looking forward to talking about them because um, all of the other words seem to be quite heavy political topics that make me end up talking about rather controversial things on the podcast and then ah finally here we are with fidget spinners um surely surely that's a harmless subject well i think it's probably a bit more a bit less controversial than something like antifa or 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 some of the other things um uh fidget spinners you know what fidget spinners are so the collins dictionary defines a fidget spinner as a small toy comprising of two or three prongs so like bits that come out arranged around a central bearing designed to be spun by the fingers as means of improving concentration or relieving stress okay so it's a small toy i mean i think you know what i'm talking about but let me try and describe it so there's basically that the central part is a bearing imagine the bearing that you would use on a skateboard wheel or, or or something like that that allows the wheel to spin round. A bearing is like a little metal thing that includes um, little metal balls and it means that part it can spin around. Okay, uh, and so you've got this bearing in the middle which you, you can hold the central part of the bearing with, between your fingers and the outer part of the bearing can then spin freely. And uh, typically, fidget spinners contain these sort of prongs that come out, usually two or three prongs. So it looks like a little wheel, or maybe it looks a bit like uh, the propellers of an aeroplane. So you hold the thing in the middle, and you can spin the prongs around, and you end up with this thing spinning between your fingers. You've seen, you must have seen kids playing with these. You must have seen them in shop windows and just thought, oh, what's that? What's that all about? And just kind of kids spinning them between their fingers or balancing them on their fingers as they spin. Apparently, they, they're supposed to be a means of improving concentration or relieving stress. There are various kind of stress relief objects, like these little objects that you can buy, and they just, you know, it's a bit like little things that you can click between your fingers, or they have buttons on them that you can press, or satisfying surfaces that you can rub your fingers on, and it's a like a fidget, like a um, like a fidget item, and you sort of fidget with it, and apparently it's supposed to help you with your concentration. That if, let's say, if you're doing maths puzzles, or you're um, um, you're, you're reading, or you're listening to a lecture, or something, you might just be playing with something in your fingers, just as a way of kind of holding you know keeping your 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 mind focused and maybe to relieve some stress i mean it i suppose it's better than picking picking at your fingers or biting your fingernails or fiddling with your the skin around your fingers which is what lots of people do when they feel stressed or while they're concentrating they kind of pick at their fingers maybe having a fidget spinner in your fingers between your fingers allows you to fidget with something um and yeah maybe it does help to improve concentration or relieve stress i'm not really sure or maybe they're just addictive little toys that actually um make young kids um distracted maybe fidget spinners distract kids away from their studies so anyway the whole idea of the fidget spinner i think is so 2016 or 2017 this is like a a craze that was big 
a couple of years ago, really, I don't know if people still use fidget spinners or talk about them. Perhaps kids these days have moved on and talking about fidget spinners is just not cool at all. Like if I went to, if if I met a bunch of young teenagers, I can imagine, you know, if you've got a bunch of young teenagers and you're trying to, you're trying to like talk to them and relate to them. So, hey guys, hey, so uh, fidget spinners, right? So they're cool, aren't they? And you can imagine all the kids being like, oh, sh- really? Fidget spinners? No, that's, that's so 2016. Like, whatever. I don't know. It just shows that I'm maybe out, out of touch with the average 13-year-old. Uh, but anyway, I don't know if kids are still using them. I think probably fidget spinners are all, all, all around us still, and kids are probably still being distracted by them or still using them to, you know, help to um, improve their concentration or whatever. So yeah, they look like little wheels and you hold them between your fingers. You flick them uh, with your fingers and they, and they spin round and, and they, they spin quite satisfyingly. They they spin for ages. You can hold them as they spin and there's like a sense of like a, they have a sort of centrifugal force which you can feel as they spin. So they're fun to just fidget with and fidgeting with them is quite addictive. Fidgeting is this action of just like playing something with you something small in your fingers it might be because you're nervous it might be because you're distracted or it might be because you're trying to focus on something else and fidgeting helps you concentrate that's fidgeting also you could say fiddling like fiddling with something um long-term listeners of this podcast might remember those words because i've used them in the past to describe what my brother typically does when um i'm talking to him on the podcast through skype that He's always fidgeting or fiddling with objects and you can hear like these sorts of sounds in the background. It's like, can you stop fidgeting, please? It's like, what are you doing? Can you just keep your hands still? I need to get him a fidget spinner maybe so that he can spin that silently between his fingers while I talk to him on the podcast. So anyway, fidget spinners. So it's just a fun toy that spins in your hand, right? Harmless, right? There's no arguments and politics here, right? Well, nope. Even fidget spinners divide people. And you've got the people who think fidget spinners are a good idea. And you've got people who think fidget spinners somehow might be, you know, the sign of, of the end of the world or something. Oh, God, I don't know if it, I don't know if people are that dramatic about them. But you've got certainly people who think they're good and people who think they're bad. So let's have a little look at the for and against for fidget spinners and we'll start with the the arguments for fidget spinners these are just some arguments that i thought of and some some ideas that i got from um uh, a little search online so one of the arguments for fidget spinners if you think about let's say you're you're a teacher in a in a secondary school and a lot of your kids who are 12 13 14 years old or whatever or maybe even younger a lot of the kids you've noticed of playing with fidget spinners in class and it's you're sort of wondering what you should say about them as the teacher or maybe the head teacher of the school you're going to think do i need to make some kind of statement to the kids about fidget spinners do we need to make some kind of um uh decision about this um about fidget spinners and maybe you've had comments from parents maybe complaining about the presence of fidget spinners in the classroom. Or you've had comments from other parents saying, you know, we think that kids should be allowed to have fidget spinners in the classroom for whatever reason. So let's imagine you're in this position. You're trying to weigh up the pros and cons of fidget spinners. Let's look at the arguments. So 
One of the arguments for is that they're fun. It's just fun to play with uh, fidget spinners. And what's wrong with that? They're fun, harmless little toys, aren't they? It's not like they're playing violent games or something like that. A fidget spinner is just a fun little thing. What's wrong with that? Another argument is that people say that fidget spinners are actually good for kids with certain conditions. Conditions like ADHD, which means Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, which is a recognised condition that basically means that children have very low... um, um, uh, You've got very low concentration uh, span. And so kids who get distracted very, very easily and they might be hyperactive and it's very hard to make them actually just sit down and just focus on something for any period of time because they're they're just constantly getting distracted by other things. And so one of the arguments is that if you give them a fidget spinner, they can just spin it quietly between their fingers and it means that they actually sort of relax a bit more and it helps them focus a bit more. So that's ADHD. And also apparently they people say that they're good for kids with autism. Autism is a... Oh, it's a complicated thing. It's a sort of a spectrum of, of um, is it mental or emotional conditions? So if a child is on the autism spectrum, it could just mean that they have trouble maybe concentrating or they might have trouble um, it, it relating or communicating with other people. Um, and apparently fidget spinners can be a sort of therapy for kids who have autism or ADHD. Uh, here's some information from a website called I, he is, I don't know how to say this, but it's I H E I S T H M U S. I heist hummus, I don't know. Uh, it's from a website. You can find the link on the page. And these, here are some, just some uh, points about that. So it says the biggest argument from the pro spinners side is that they are a useful tool for kids with ADHD, autism, anxiety and other similar conditions. Occupational therapist Sandra Mortimer said it can help with emotional regulation for children feeling anxious, worried and nervous. While there's no academic research about fidget spinners in particular, fidget tools such as putty, which is a sort of a soft stuff that you can massage in your hands and maybe mould it into different shapes. That's putty. Uh, Fidget tools such as putty and stress balls. Stress balls would be balls that are kind of squashed. You can squeeze them in your hands and they kind of slowly come back to shape. They're quite satisfying things to squeeze in your hands. There's no academic research about fidget spinners in particular, but fidget tools have long been known to help with... um, things like anxiety and and uh, those conditions I mentioned. Uh, the lack of specific academic research is to be expected, though. Fidget spinners are only a few months old, and research takes literally forever, well, a very long time at least. There are some pretty cool creative uses for fidget spinners. Here's another point, that people argue that fidget spinners can allow kids to be creative. Although, as far as I can see, this these creative uses i mean all it all it really means is just letting the fidget spinner spin in different places i mean i I don't know how creative it really is for example what are the creative things you can do with it well you can balance a spinner on your fingers you can make them spin on a table and see how long it spins you can throw them between between your hands while they spin you can spin them and switch them onto different fingers you can spin it and put it onto your nose 
and stuff like that. I don't know how much, how creative that really is. But anyway, there are some of the arguments that ultimately it can be a creative toy to an extent, although I don't think it's as creative as Lego. Um, and uh, the, the, I guess the main thing is that they can help to regulate children's emotional state and it can help calm kids down, kids who have conditions that make them that make it difficult for them to concentrate and things like that and they're just fun and what's wrong with that some of the arguments against would be this that as a fidget tool it's not really a very good one it's big it requires hand-eye coordination so kids have to actually look at it so it's actually very distracting compared to just like um um, maybe putty, which you can, or a stress ball, a stress ball, you can just hold it in your hand. You don't need to look at it. You can just squeeze it in your hand under the table. And, you know, it's, it's not really very disruptive. Whereas a fidget spinner requires kind of all your concentration. You've got to look at it. You've got to balance it typically on your finger. So it does actually drag your attention away. So they can be quite distracting. It's hard to just spin it in your hand and not look at it. So you can't really use it while working, for example, or you can't just have it in your pocket and play with it in your pocket. It tends to use all of your concentration. It tends to steal all of your concentration. That's one point. So it's just not even a very good fidget tool. There are better fidget tools out there. Another point is that it's just an annoying trend and they'll probably be forgotten in a few years until they come back as the latest nostalgia toy. So it's just another in a long line of trends that kids get obsessed by and then they forget about. Um, I think that's kind of it. Those are the main arguments for and against. But what do you think about fidget spinners? Have you ever used one? What, what do you think? I mean, do your kids have them? Do you think they are basically harmless or maybe even healthy? Uh, or do you think that they are not really a very good thing to encourage your children to use and they're just essentially a distraction away from you know more more beneficial things so there you go that's fidget spinners and i guess a third question there would be are they still around or is this a craze that people have have now forgotten about i wonder maybe i'll just do a little search here for fidget spinners fidget spinner uh, in in speech marks so that we f- search for fidget spinner not just fidget and spinner so we're searching fidget spinner i'm going to look at google news and let's see let's check the tools i'm going to go country the uk and these are recent news stories about fidget spinners actually they seem to have dropped out of the news We've got one story from the 23rd of November 2018, another one from the 22nd of November 2018, and another one from the 5th of December 2018. But then the next ones, well, another one from 2017. I don't know. No, some more from 2018. I guess they're still being talked about and still being used, but it's not exactly the peak of the fidget spinner craze which was really in 2017 i think that's when people were uh, talking about them and using them the most so maybe they're pretty much sliding away into the background now fidget spinners but what do you think do your kids still play with them do you play with them let me know what you think in the comments section let's move on to the next word here and out of our list of six the, the six remaining words uh 
for me to deal with in this episode. We've got two down, so we've got four to go. The next one is the expression gender fluid. Gender fluid. Now, this is not some sort of liquid that comes out of men and women. Um, that's not gender fluid. No, it means gender fluid. Like it's an adjective. It's an adjective. Fluid meaning, you know, if something is fluid, you could say it, it, it sort of moves from one to the other, sort of um, a bit like um, uh, the way liquid might move from what from one side of a bowl to the other side as you move it left and as you tilt the bowl up and down, the fluid would move left and right. So you could say it's it's very fluid. You know, the the substance in the bowl is very fluid. But anyway, gender fluid is an adjective and it means not identifying exclusively with one gender rather than another. So it's kind of like when someone's gender identity is fluid. So it's when they kind of then they're not they're not rigidly male or rigidly female. They don't identify only as a male or female, but instead it's a bit more sort of um, ambiguous than that and it's more fluid so it can move between gendered identities so gender fluid so basically it means when people don't feel that they uh, when people don't feel they have a fixed gender they might feel male sometimes and female at other times and perhaps even feel like they belong to some other gendered category that we don't even really have the language to describe to an extent so, oh no, here we go. We're back on difficult territory again because this is another minefield of a topic because this is the sort of topic that triggers people, doesn't it? Isn't it? Wasn't it? Hasn't it been? Um, so this is another minefield of a topic. Now now I remember why I kept putting off doing this episode for so long. I planned most of this at the end of last year and it's taken me a year to do it. And one of the reasons why it, it was like a difficult episode to do and I kept putting it off was because a lot of the topics are sort of contentious hot potato topics. Too many trigger warnings, potential problems and complexity. But it is a big subject at the moment, gender fluidity which is the noun version. So let's have a look at this, okay? Now, I know that I, I, I don't... Well, I think that the culture is different in different parts of the world, and I don't know if gender fluidity is something that's been very present in, in uh, the whole media discourse it, where you live. I, maybe in other parts of the world, just gender fluidity is not really discussed. It's not really on the uh, on the agenda for whatever reason. Maybe people uh, just don't like most people just don't feel comfortable talking about it. Maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable to talk about it. I don't know, but I am. But it it is a topic that's been uh, in the news a lot and is something that's discussed a lot in in general life. Um, it's a big subject at the moment, so let's have a look. So this word relates to people who don't identify as having a fixed gender. The noun is gender fluidity. So you've got like a gender fluid person, you know, you might say. Here are some quick examples from a Google News search for gender fluid, just so we can see the word or phrase being used in some different contexts. This one is from Pink News in December 2017, and the... Um, the uh, article says it's 2017 and the doctor is gender fluid. So um, outgoing Doctor Who star 
Pearl Mackey, has responded to the backlash against a female doctor, saying that the doctor is gender fluid and the gender of the actor doesn't matter. Okay, so this is a story that I will come on to in a moment because I'm going to talk about Doctor Who and gender fluidity in a moment. But that's just an example of a little extract from a news report saying an actor from a TV show called Doctor Who has responded to the backlash against a female doctor. The character Doctor Who is now played by a female actress. So, So this person has said that the doctor is gender fluid and the gender of the actor doesn't matter. Okay, we'll come back to that topic in a bit. Here's another one referencing popular culture, this time uh, referencing the character of Loki from the Marvel Universe, Marvel comic books, and also the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, Apparently, there's going to be a new Marvel novel. You know that you know, things like the Star Wars universe, the Marvel universe, you get the films, you get the TV shows, you get the comic books, and also you get other things like novels that feature some of the characters from, from these universes. Sometimes the, the you know, the, the novel versions or the stories you get in the novels live in an alternate universe to the, 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 the stories you get in the films. I mean, they're using the same characters, but they don't have the same storylines and different things happen to them in in the book versions and in the comic book versions and stuff like that. So apparently there will be a, a novel, a Marvel novel featuring Loki and the headline from the Washington Blade, uh, December the 13th, 2017, is Loki will be pansexual and gender fluid in new Marvel novel. So here's the extract from the from that article. It says Marvel is releasing a series of three novels focusing on anti-heroes in 2019. One novel will focus on Loki, Thor's adopted brother and nemesis. Author Mackenzie Lee took to Twitter to answer questions about the project and informed fans that Loki is canonically a pansexual and gender fluid character. I didn't know that. Pansexual means that uh, the character has many different sexes. So it's like not just male uh, or or just female. It doesn't have one sex, but is has numerous sexes. I didn't know that. Apparently Loki is a pansexual, gender fluid character. Well, from the films, I mean, if you've seen all of the Marvel movies, you know the character of Loki. He's played by... He's played by... Oh, come on. Don't forget the guy's name. He's a great actor. Oh, I always do this. Low-key actor... Tom Hiddleston, right? He's played by Tom Hiddleston. He's, the, he's, he's often the bad guy in the, in the Marvel movies. Um, and uh, anyway, Loki. So we know from the, from the movies that Loki is actually capable of changing his, his appearance and he can look like other people. So in the past, in films, he's uh, he has changed his appearance so he looks like his father, Odin. He's changed his appearance to look like uh, Captain America at times. He's changed his appearance to look like different people. So maybe he is like a shape-shifting, uh, fluid character who can be different people. Most of the time he is Tom Hiddleston, but apparently he's able to you know, shift and and change and be different people. And he can be female, he can be male. So canonically, canon, the word canon refers to the sort of official, um, official storyline 
for um, a franchise. So you've got the Star Wars canon, which is like the official uh, narrative of Star Wars. And there are certain things which are part of the canon and certain certain things which are not part of the canon, meaning like, for example, there are some books that have been published in the Star Wars universe, but they've Star Wars, um, a Lucasfilm, I guess, has decided that those books are no longer canon, meaning they're not part of the official story. So apparently, according to the canon of Marvel work, um, Loki is a shape-shifting character. So I guess it kind of makes sense that he's gender fluid. Um, Here's another story from Times Live, December the 14th, 2017. And this is uh, talking about fashion and the idea of men wearing skirts. So, I mean, I guess traditionally or conventionally we think that men don't wear skirts right that women wear skirts and men wear trousers or shorts or something but here's an article from times live december the 14th 2017 the 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 headline is men in skirts gender fluid fashion is no longer a novelty so there we can see the adjective gender fluid being used before the word fashion so gender fluid fashion Okay, and it says, um, the article says, the ancient Egyptians, Romans, Zulus, and Scots, and countless others didn't wear trousers, and no one thought of them as effeminate. Yeah, think about it the ancient Egyptians, the Romans, and also the Scots, like Scottish men are known for wearing kilts. Kilts look like skirts. Uh, so, and, and no one uh, has thought of the Scottish people as. Scottish men as effeminate, uh, effeminate meaning like kind of uh, feminine. Well, to be honest, I challenge anyone to find a bunch of Scottish men wearing kilts and tell them that they're effeminate. Uh, I don't think you'll do very well. What are you saying, pal? Um, good luck with that. But anyway, the art, the little extract continues. It says the same could be said of jewellery and many other fashion items. We spoke to a couple of experts to find out why gender-fluid fashion is trending. So apparently things like men wearing skirts, maybe that's kind of uh, trendy again. I hadn't really noticed it that much, but you know, I'm, I don't follow fashion that much. But I have to say, probably if, if I did attend those fashion catwalks and stuff, I wouldn't be surprised to see men in skirts and stuff like that, probably. Is it that, you know, some people who get shocked by this kind of thing, might be shocked by the idea. But are you shocked by Scottish guys wearing kilts or the the Romans and the fact that they wore skirts? I don't know. You know, it's all relative. It's all context, isn't it, really? So anyway, the idea of gender fluidity, and it relates to things like clothing. It relates to um, uh, what we see as acceptable in characters in films and TV. And it just relates to behaviour, of people and uh, the way that people identify themselves and the way that we use language to refer to people as he or she or something else. So this whole I, this whole debate, I guess, that is being pushed forward by those people who think that gender fluidity should become much more mainstream and accepted and it shouldn't be like a weird thing that some people don't like. It should just be a normal part of life that we shouldn't be restricted by our, by uh, fixed gender categories. Now, some people see this as progress. Other people see it and they just get really angry. They get triggered by it, using that expression again from part one of this series. 
So I'm not going to get into it at great length because, to be honest, I sort of exhausted myself with fake news and Antifa and I'm I'm just going to sort of take a pass on this one a bit. I mean, I just don't feel like going into the whole subject uh, at great length. But I don't know. What do you think? Do you have an opinion on this? What do you think of gender fluidity? I'm sure some of you are going, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's madness. Where is it going to end? You know, let men be men and women be women. Stop trying to mix it up. Oh. And some of you are probably thinking, hey, it's fine. It's cool. You know, I think that uh, uh, it, this is a, a way to... Um, you know, I think society and culture should reflect the fact that some people um, identify in a gender fluid way. And what, you know, why shouldn't we accept people like that? Why shouldn't we accept these differences? You know, we're living in the modern world. So I don't know, there are various opinions. It's complex. And it's, you know, it's not just a question of do you mind that people define their identity outside the traditional binary gender roles? It's not just that. It's also things like how this affects various changes in society. Some people think it's all progress, other, whereas others are really losing their minds about it. And other people are just putting their foot down and saying, you know, some people genuinely are putting their foot down and saying, wait, I don't mind how you identify. You're free to be whoever you want, but don't force me to change my world. You know, that type of thing. Are you aware of this stuff? I mean, you might have seen, for example, interviews with someone like Jordan Peterson, who's a well-known, he's a famous clinical psychologist these days, who is, um, he's got a huge following online and he appears on things like the Joe Rogan podcast, and he's he's been interviewed by uh, Russell Brand on his podcast, and he's kind of talked to everyone, and there have been some famous interviews where he was challenged uh, on his, over his uh, opinions about the way in which universities have taken a strong position on the language that we apparently should use to refer to different uh, gendered identities, because it's a complicated debate, but I think that he worked at a university in Toronto in Can- in Canada as a clinical psychologist, as a lecturer, as a lecturer, an academic, and there was a movement in the university that said that uh, everyone must start using certain pronouns to refer to people who don't f- identify as either male or, or female, that basically the, he he was arguing that the university was obliging him and other people to start using uh, language, like forcing people to use new pronouns for these people. And he put his foot down and he took a stand against this. And it kind of, it was a big um, scandal because he was criticised heavily for it. He was criticised as being anti-transgender or for being uh, prejudiced and and, um, and against uh, people's uh, freedom to express their identities, that he was accused of as being... Um, sort of homophobic and 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 those sorts of things and he was he suddenly was um um labeled as being part of the alt right and all this kind of thing and it, it was a big debate about it and and he famously stood up for himself and in interviews and refused to be pushed around uh, I don't really know what to think of Jordan Peterson I've followed a lot of the conversations he's had with people and I think he's got a lot of good things to say and a lot of, you know, he makes a lot of sense on subjects like, for example, um, 
um, the position of young men in society today and how they they sort of feel a bit lost. And so I think he has a lot of useful things to say to young men to help them feel good about themselves. Uh, but on the subject of uh, his position on gender fluidity and the language of gender fluidity, that's the thing. I think he actually, he's happy to let people be who they want to be. But his argument is, you can't force me to use certain language. Okay, so um, where was I? So, so it's not just about whether you accept that people can be who they want to be. It's also about how that applies to the way that we all uh, operate in society and the language that we use and, and other things like that. So I was saying some people are putting their foot down, people like Jordan Peterson, and they're saying, wait, I don't mind how you identify. You're free to be whoever you want, but don't force me to change my world that type of thing. Gender fluid people or transgender people, that may be, there may be a difference between the two. Transgender, I guess, refers to people who were born as one gender or physically as one gender, but they identify in, inside themselves as another gender and they may maybe be making a transition or they may have made a transition to actually become the other gender. And you think of famous cases like uh, Caitlyn Jenner, um, gender fluid it would be like i guess people who just sort of like their identity is is free to move between uh male or female or or gay or straight or lesbian or uh, transsexual you know to be honest it's a little difficult to keep up with the different terminology and it, and it, it can make you feel uncomfortable because you don't want to get it wrong you know you don't want to offend someone by using the wrong word so it's a tricky area um But so gender fluid people or transgender people, let's say, are saying, hey, it would be really nice and respectful if you could just acknowledge my identity and perhaps make a few changes to make me feel like I belong in this world. Like maybe you can use different language to make me feel accepted. In fact, hey, we're working on making it illegal to refuse to do this. In fact, you know, if what we want to do is actually use legislation, this is the gender fluid or transgender uh, person talking, we're actually pushing for legislation, which means that you, it would be a hate crime for you not to use the right pronouns to refer to us. And those people who disagree are saying, well, you can't force me to do things like use certain language by law. You can't force me to to adopt certain words by law. That's not how language works. And that's kind of, that's a bit authoritarian, isn't it? And then other people are far less respectful and reasonable in their dialogue. And there's just a lot of abuse and hate speech flying around a tube as people get very angry about it. And then there are people like me who are kind of going, what? <laughs> Sorry, what? Uh, what? Who said that? Uh, what's? Who's right? What's going on? What year is it? You know, so, I mean, if you're interested in in the conversation, you could look up Jordan Peterson and just listen to him debating people about this subject. Just Google or YouTube Jordan Peterson. You're bound to come across a conversation he's had about, um, uh, I guess it's transgendered pronouns. Let me let me have a look. YouTube. I'm on YouTube. I'm searching. Uh, Jordan Peterson transgenderism transgenderism debate um yeah okay so here's a here's a video from CBC News um and we've got uh Jordan Peterson from the University of Toronto 
and another um, academic from the University of Toronto discussing the use of alternate pronouns on campus. Um, I'm going to come on to the subject of the pronouns in a minute, I think. Did I write something about pronouns? Did I? Did I? Did I? Yeah, yeah the pronoun stuff is coming. Before we do that, let me talk about Doctor Who. Um, okay, it's probably worth mentioning Doctor Who again, because I did mention that earlier on. So let me talk about Doctor Who for a bit. We're jumping around a little bit here, but I hope you can follow this. So as you uh, as you may know, Doctor Who is a British science fiction TV show that's been on television longer than a lot of people have been alive. I think that Doctor Who has the record as the longest running TV series ever, having started in 1963 and still going strong today. It's a BBC science fiction television show. It's sort of for kids, but it's also for everyone. In a nutshell, Doctor Who is about a time-travelling alien, who, by the way, looks human and speaks English and everything. So it's about a time-travelling alien who travels around in a blue police box which is actually a a spacecraft that travels through time and space. So Doctor Who travels around in this blue police box, generally saving the Earth. It's a lot of fun, and it's very inventive, creative and funny, and many generations of people in the UK grew up as children watching the show. My parents grew up with Doctor Who. My brother and I grew up with it. Our nieces and nephews are growing up with it now. The character called The Doctor who is this time-travelling alien, in fact, who has human form, mostly. The character, called the Doctor, has actually died a lot of times. Um, But every time the Doctor dies, which is usually when he comes to the end of his, like, current lifespan, he, and I'm going to start saying he, he regenerates in a new form. So, basically, at the end of a season um, of the show, the Doctor dies and is then reborn, but with a new actor in the next season. Sort of happens every season or every few seasons, they have a new actor that comes in. A bit like the way with James Bond, you know, in the James Bond universe, you've got like, uh, you know, first it was Sean Connery, but James Bond doesn't die and then come back. I mean, it's just, they change actor. So, you know, Sean Connery, then Roger Moore and and so on, right? The actor changes, but the character continues. In Doctor Who, it's kind of clever because when the actor changes in the show, the Doctor dies and is reborn and sort of regenerates as uh, the next actor. And it's the new incarnation of the Doctor, which is cool. I mean, it's really exciting when the Doctor dies and comes back. It's like the phoenix rising from the ashes kind of thing. It's this interesting uh, theme of rebirth that the Doctor comes back every time, but as a new actor. So the character called the Doctor has died lots of times, but every time the Doctor dies, um, he regenerates in a new form. So, yeah, I was saying, at the end of the season, the Doctor dies and is reborn, but with a new actor in the next season or series as we usually say in British English, actually. It's a really cool way of keeping a TV series going. Each new incarnation of the Doctor is different in that they have a certain look, they have certain characteristics uh, brought by the different actor in the role each time. But also the Doctor always maintains certain core characteristics like charisma, leadership, strength, courage, eccentricity, humour, love for the humans and a desire to protect us. 
certain human companions and the blue spaceship or TARDIS, which is the name of Doctor Who's blue police box. It's actually a craft that travels through both space and time. So even though the character changes a little bit each time, there are certain core things that always stay the same. Like the fact that the, the Doctor loves the, the human race and wants to protect us and travels through space and time in the TARDIS. Um, there have been loads of actors playing the Doctor over the years and millions of us are very affectionate towards this character and the actors who have played him or her now. So then this year, the producers of the show decided that the new Doctor would be played by a woman. I think we've had... It's something in the region of 12, at least 12 doctors, and they've all been men. But then this year, for the first time, we've got a female doctor. Uh, Jodie Whittaker was chosen, a good British actress. So now the doctor is a woman, or at least she has a female form. Because remember, the doctor is in fact not human, it's an alien. So it turns out that the doctor is a gender-fluid character. She doesn't always regenerate as a man. She can regenerate as a woman too. Naturally, a lot of people were really pissed off, as you can imagine, because, you know, people, you know, don't like things to change. Certainly, people get very upset when women start to kind of come into a world that they thought was previously just for men. Uh, So naturally, a lot of people were really pissed off saying things like, the doctor's not a woman, you've ruined this character and my memories of childhood. Stop this PC nonsense from infecting everything. This is just the loony left at the BBC trying to infect everything with poisonous feminism. Leave our TV characters alone. That's the general tone of what the critics have been saying, you know, as you would expect in comment sections on YouTube and 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 probably in 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 more um uh, conventional forms like articles posted in in certain newspapers by journalists and things who don't agree with it so i read some comments saying things like this even it's the doctor not the nurse he should be a man which is a pretty sexist thing to say so a lot of it is just sexism now i understand that people don't like change uh and that this character is very close to people's hearts but there's actually when you think about it, about it there's actually no logical reason why the doctor can only be male it's a fictional time traveling alien from another planet that changes shape when it dies i think that it can turn into a woman i think that's fine right um now i haven't actually seen any of the episodes in their entirety i must admit that these days whenever i watch doctor who i'm just completely confused i've kind of lost track of what's going on but it's great and there's something there's there is something very comforting about the fact that the show is still going after all these years um uh, but the storylines always confuse me completely I've seen clips of the new Doctor Who with Jodie Whittaker and it looks good. She's funny and a bit weird and charismatic and that is the spirit of the character. She's, she maintains this, the, the spirit of the Doctor. It's definitely still the Doctor. She just happens to be a woman this time. And I personally don't mind that the Doctor is a woman at the moment. I think that the writers can do whatever they like with the character. It's a, it's a fictional character. So for me, as long as the writing is still good and the acting is still good and the general hallmarks of Doctor Who are still the same, I personally think it's okay. I'd be more upset if the writers of Doctor Who changed something more important about the character. Like, for example, deciding that she now shouldn't have a sense of humour. 
Like if they decided that the doctor was all serious and didn't have any humor, I think that would be worse. <clears throat> or if they decided that she should stop caring about people or that she loses the TARDIS or something like that, I think that would be worse. The Doctor becoming a woman doesn't really change the spirit of the character that much. And if anything, it brings something fresh to the role. And it looks like Jodie Whittaker is great and loads of fun like the Doctor should be. So there you go. Female Doctor Who. Why not? I really can't think of a good reason why not. But I I don't think this really counts as proper gender fluidity you know because it's a fictional alien character i think gender fluidity is more likely to impact our lives in more real ways than this like for example how it's affecting language and conversations about language (coughs) excuse me and this is where we go back to that thing about jordan peterson and his debate about um uh the pronouns that um his university uh, were attempting to uh, legislate for okay for example what pronouns do we use to refer to people who have different gender identities like people who identify as neither a woman nor a man or some other gender which is a combination of both somehow or people who just you know don't want to have to fit into that binary system people say you know people say uh, transgender or gender fluid people might say um I feel that I am neither a woman nor a man. I don't mean to put words in people's mouths, by the way. I'm just trying to explain the situation. I don't mean to kind of, yeah, put words in people's mouths. But I think that people might say, I feel that I'm neither a woman nor a man. Uh, I'm both. And, And the language doesn't have the words to reflect that. Like that's their point that the language is limited. It doesn't have the, the 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 words to reflect their identity, right? So they might say, "So we need to introduce some new words to include us because if we're not included in the language, then the culture is extremely prejudiced against us." So, you know, we we we've been alienated by the language. That's kind of their point. I think I might be wrong, but I think that's it. Also, transgender or gender fluid people can feel very rejected or unrepresented or offended when their identity isn't recognized by people, specifically when the wrong pronouns are used. Like if you meet a transgender person, and you, you say, oh, you know, I met, uh, 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 let's say Dave and, and he seems like a nice guy. Uh, that could be considered offensive language because you're, you know, projecting a male identity onto them. Okay. I know some of you are kind of going, that's annoying. I don't know what you're thinking about this, but I'm just trying to explain the scenario to you. Uh, You may well be very familiar with it. You know, these debates probably are going on in your countries too. I don't know. Some in some countries, yes. In some countries, it might not be on the agenda. As I said before, I, I, I really don't know. Uh, so some people want to introduce new pronouns. These are words like he, she, uh, his, her, you know. Some people want to introduce new pronouns to reflect the diversity of gender identities out there. And they want to introduce new laws which say that it's technically a hate crime to use the wrong pronouns. And maybe they want to introduce new legislation which says you, you must use these new words and you can't use the old ones. Now, I don't know... Uh, if this kind of thing uh, <clears throat> uh, has uh, ever happened. 
before and there are several debates combined in this like there, there there are numerous debates going on within this topic like for example there is the do people have the right to change their gender if they feel that way debate and in my opinion i kind of think well why not you know if people why i think you know why not i think people should be allowed to do what they want you know but a second debate is do they get to legislate what language we can and can't use which is another point i think and forcing people to use certain forms of language by law i just don't know what to think about that it that does seem a bit like controlling people's freedom to use language um it seems a bit bit authoritarian i mean does language work like that you can't just force people to use certain language can you but maybe the intention behind it is just to try and make people included in society and what's wrong with that but this whole thing exists in a very fuzzy and grey area involving freedom of speech and also the problem of hate speech and, and so on. It's a moral maze. Uh, it's a moral maze I, I'm, I'm writing there. Um, yeah. Don't forget to check the page for this episode. I'm writing a lot of things you can see here. Most of the things I'm saying are written down. And so that's where we will leave this subject, okay? I'd like to think it's okay for me not to have an opinion on some things that's my i have rights card here that i'm i'm playing i claim the right to just not have an opinion thanks very much Uh, i'm not really ready to decide what i think about it all yet and i think that's okay i'm allowed to do that i'm allowed to sit on the fence and so are you um now i know i know you're not even asking for, for my opinion right i mean you're not there going but luke you must have an opinion i know you're not even doing that and I, 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 um, I have no duty to give you um, uh, my opinion. Okay, um, um, okay, right. So anyway, there you go. That was uh, my attempt at talking about gender fluidity. So it's interesting, I suppose, and I hope you think it's interesting. And it, and you're hearing all the words I'm using to talk about it, right? So okay, good. So let's carry on. Now then, <coughs> I thought that I might be able to get through six words in an episode, but nah, that was over ambitious. I got through three, just like I did in the last one. So I've got three left. So yeah, that's right. This is I'm going to move on to part four. This always happens, as I said before. I, whenever I do, whenever I say I'm going to do a series, I don't know how long it'll be, and it ends up being like nine episodes or something. It shouldn't be. I think we'll probably get one more episode from the 2017 word so that's four parts and then my conversation with amber about the words from 2018 i would not be surprised if that goes over two episodes i don't want to talk for uh, i don't want to make my episodes too long as we've established before some people you know for some people a, a two-hour episode would be a bit of a marathon so all right so that's probably what's going to happen there'll be another part of of there'll be another part with the other 2017 words and then when i talk to amber that'll probably be a a two-part episode as well so six parts on this not bad you're certainly getting uh your money's worth and considering it's a free podcast that's uh that's quite a lot i would say okay then well thanks for listening to this shall i have a little chat with siri again i tried to talk to siri well in the last at the end of the last episode did you notice I was saying something about a series. I, was, I, I said the word series and Siri, who is the, the AI on 
uh, Apple product, Siri, I think, thought I was talking about him or her. Is Siri male or female? I don't know. I think Siri's gender fluid. You can choose whether Siri is a male or female. On my phone, Siri is a male. Uh, I don't know if I chose that. that uh, but anyway, who cares? Um, so in the last one, at the end, I said the word series, and Siri thought I was talking to him. And Siri said, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying, or something like that. Or Siri misunderstood. And it was quite interesting to have a little chat with Siri. So maybe I can have another little chat now. Hey, Siri. Okay. Hey, Siri, are you gender fluid? Hmm, that's something I don't know. What a surprise, something you don't know. Uh, Let's see. Hey, Siri, what do you think about Doctor Who? I really couldn't say. Oh, great. You just don't have any opinions. Hey, Siri, do you have any opinions? I don't have an answer for that. What a surprise. Hey, Siri, is it okay for me to sit on the fence? And Siri's chosen not to say anything. It's just written, interesting question. Uh, It's a really scintillating conversation that you can have with Siri. Maybe I need to change the tone of the conversation and sort of say, okay. Hey, Siri, are fidget spinners still cool? Okay, I found something on the web for a fidget spinner still cool. Take a look. Okay, and the, the, the web results that Siri has found here are one from the 13th of June, 2017. It says, get over it, fidget, the fidget spinner trend is dead. That was from summer last year. Uh, the rise and fall of the fidget spinner. The fidget spinner craze is already over. Fidget spinners are over. Right, well, I guess that's 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 probably answered that question. Um, all right. Hey, Siri, is the doctor a man or a woman? Just don't get this whole gender thing. Oh, all right. Finally, a, a slightly more human response. Any other questions? Hey, Siri, do you listen to Luke's English podcast? Take your time. Oh. Sorry, I can't play that right now. I'm not asking you to play it. Siri, do you listen to my podcast? Hey, Siri, do you listen to my podcast? Playing podcasts? No, no, no it's new episode time. This one is another conversation. <laughs> That's great, Siri. You're playing my podcast. Ways of dealing with nerves. But all right, okay. That's not bad. That's not what I asked you, though. Okay, it's obvious that I'm not going to get a decent conversation from Siri, is it? Not yet, anyway. Maybe in a couple of years, I'll be able to chat with Siri on the podcast, and it might even be a good conversation. I don't know. We'll see what happens with the artificial intelligence as it develops. Um, Ladies and gents, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. This is still not the end of this series. There'll be three more words of the year from 2017 coming up in the next part. Uh, And as I said, then uh, you'll get to hear me talking to Amber about the words from 2018. Okay? Uh, Do not forget to check the page for this episode. You'll see almost everything I said is written there. So you can follow along and you can also read through the scripts and pick out certain words that you may have heard me use and add them to your vocabulary. Um, uh, Yeah, that's it. All right. I'll speak to you in the next one. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.
Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.